as we continue our series on Philippians and the joyful life today, I thought it was important, uh, like Mike has already done, to make sure that we are naming and grappling with what can so easily diminish our joy. Because uh, the enemy of God is real. The enemy of God is active, trying to actively diminish and destroy our joy. And we've experienced a lot of that this week, as Mike has named for us already. But the enemy, we need to recognize the enemy is working through violence to diminish our joy. The enemy is working through white supremacy to diminish our joy. The enemy is working through hypocritical, hypocritical displays of religion to diminish our joy, through inflated egos, through broken and oppressive systems, through our own sinful thoughts and actions. The enemy is working, and so we denounce the work of the devil this morning in the name of Jesus. And it's really important to do so very specifically, to name that. And, and so, in a similar spirit of prayer as Mike has led already, I would like just before um, diving into the text for today to use a couple selections from the Psalms as we continue to give words to our confession and give words to our lament. Um, so if you would, just pray with me again using the words of Psalm 51, which says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. God of mercy, we confess our own sin that diminishes our joy. And so we ask you, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of of your salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And Lord, you know it's not just our sin that diminishes our joy, but all the other forces of evil and realities of brokenness in our world. And so we also pray these words from Psalm 13. How long, Lord? Will you forget us forever? How long will you hide your face from me. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts, day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. God of light, hear us as we're naming the circumstances and realities that diminish our joy and lead us to say these words too from Psalm 30, that we will exalt you, Lord, for you have lifted us out of the depths and did not let our enemies gloat over us. Lord my God, I call to you for help and you healed me. 
You, Lord, brought me from the realm of the dead and you spared me from going down to the pit. So sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. I've been really moved in preparing for this series and just preparing for today as well uh, of what God has to offer us in terms of joy. And actually, as I was preparing for this series, even before the new year, I was sensing that God wants joy or, or deep gladness to be my word of the year, my theme of the year. And I don't think that means that I'm just automatically going to be joyful all the time. I think what, that, what I'm hearing that means for me is that this is going to be a year where the Spirit helps me learn how to rejoice. Because I think it is a practice. I think it is something that we're meant to lean into, even in the midst of a week like we've had. Because like we're going to see in Philippians, one of the amazing things about the joy that comes from God, the joy of Christ, is that it can and will persist even in the midst of trials and difficulties. And so today we're going to look at the second half of Philippians chapter 1 and this joy of making Christ known even in the midst of difficulty. So I'm going to read the passage, and I want us to listen as I read this for how Paul is writing about joy and how he's writing about this act of rejoicing. So it's Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains." But what does it matter? <laughs> the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and for your joy in the faith, 
so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. Well, there's a lot in there. And before looking at the the details of that text, I just want to address right at the top here, what is this joy that Paul is talking about? What does it mean when he uses these words, joy and rejoice? Uh, the middle name of my daughter, Beata, is Joy, and I think she's, she's living into that name in some beautiful ways, but I asked her the other day, I said, Beata, what does your middle name, Joy, mean? And right off the bat, she said, happy, uh, and she started flitting about, happy, happy. <laughs> um, but then, I, you know, I asked a follow-up question, okay, uh, do you think you can have joy even when you're sad? And she ponder that for a second. She said, yes, because I can still be proud of everything, like my family and God. And um, man, I loved that way of putting it. Um, I can still be proud. I've never really connected this idea of joy with feeling proud in that positive sense before. But uh, that's exactly what Paul's talking about. Uh, At the end of the passage I read in verses 25 and 26, He says, I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So the connection there is that our joy in faith is linked to this abundant boasting in Jesus Christ. That joy, to be joyful is to be proud of Jesus, who Jesus is in me and in the world to be, uh, to know Christ and to be united to Christ and to see others come to know Christ as well, even if that means we are called to walk a difficult path together. To be joyful is to be in Christ and to be boasting about all that Christ is and all that Christ offers me. So it includes the feeling of happiness. I don't want to say, no, to be joyful is not to be happy. Well, yeah, I mean, happiness is a part of it, but joy is much deeper because it's flowing from this, um, this deep mystery of union with Christ, of knowing Christ. So it, it can persist, and it does persist, even uh, in difficult times, difficult circumstances. And so let's look at how all that plays out in the text. So this is the second half of chapter 1, and Paul is, is shifting now to want to give a report to the church in Philippi about how he's doing. Very common thing in ancient letters like this. You give your greeting, and you say, thanks for checking in on me. Here's how I'm doing. So uh, he's in prison. Paul's in prison. So obviously, he's probably not doing all that great circumstantially, <laughs> uh, but he kind of blows right past that. He doesn't um, spend any time really sharing with them about how he's doing because he's so excited to tell them about how the gospel of Christ is doing. He, he launches right into this news that, that people are coming to know Jesus. The, the gospel is advancing. The good news of Jesus is spreading. So right there in verse 12, he says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So yes, I am in prison, but he's saying, look, the palace guards are coming to know Jesus. Everyone in the, 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 um, um, the palace is hearing about Jesus and everyone in jail. And so um, they're becoming believers. This is amazing. 
And we actually know that some people within the, the royal family, as it were, had become Christians, because at the end of Philippians chapter 4, verse 22, when he's signing off the letter, he says, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And Caesar is the Roman emperor, uh, but his household refers to anyone who's connected to him, so including soldiers, servants, other family members. It doesn't mean that the whole royal family had become believers, but we know that some people within Caesar's household had become Christian. This was hugely significant in that day and age, and Paul's really excited to share with them about this, and it's flaming his joy that even people who are close to the emperor, who people worshipped, were now worshipping Jesus. And yes, he's acknowledging that some people are preaching Christ for the wrong reasons, for selfish reasons, but what they are preaching is true and the gospel is advancing, and so he's just filled with joy. So in this first section here, the upshot is that our joy in Christ is connected to the advancement of news about Jesus, the advancement of the gospel. It's not connected to the advancement of our success. It's a very important thing for us to understand. That joy comes from knowing Christ and making Him known for the advancement of the gospel, not the advancement of my goals. I think we link happiness to the advancement of our goals, and that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's a new year. Making goals is a good thing, right? Financial goals, relational goals, vocational goals, whatever they are, those are good. And um, the accomplishment of those goals makes us feel good, makes us feel happy. But our joy does not depend on that. This is why even though Paul is in prison, a very unsuccessful place to be, <laughs> he's filled with joy. And this is why James, the brother of Jesus, says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of various kinds. Because you know that this is helping you persevere. You know that this is helping you become mature and complete in Christ. So the testimony of Scripture is clear, that joy is something that we can experience within trials and weakness. But even more than that, joy grows and deepens within those experiences, more so than in times of comfort and strength, actually. This is the pattern that we see, that this is helping us, these, these times of difficulty, these trials, as James is talking about, they're helping us know Christ more intimately. That's why our joy can increase. So, uh, last week, Ron worked a Broadway musical into his sermon, and, and, and I I thought, hmm, challenge accepted. Uh, I started thinking, I wonder what Broadway song Paul would be singing in prison. Um, and I thought through my, my various favorite mu musicals, and I thought, oh, what a beautiful morning from Oklahoma. I mean, it's not quite right, but I can imagine Paul sitting back and saying, Oh, what a beautiful morning, oh, what a beautiful day, I've got a beautiful feeling, 
everything's going my way. Maybe. It's not quite right, though, because that was just for you, Ron, by the way. Um, gotcha. It's not quite right because Paul wasn't joyful because things were going his way, right? If you replace my way with God's way, it could have been the song that Paul would sing because that's what he's been describing. Things are going God's way. Jesus is being preached. Gospel is advancing. People are coming to know Jesus. And people are being delivered. Okay, this is, this is the next thing that Paul's going to talk about in the passage. If you look there, starting in verse 19, this is the reason for Paul's rejoicing. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, the Greek word there that Paul is using is soterion. It's where we got our fancy English word for soteriology, study of God's salvation. So it means deliverance, salvation, all of this. And, and, and Paul's joy is rooted in his confidence that God is a deliverer. God is going to deliver him and save him, which in this case is very holistic. It means deliverance from prison in order to be with and labor alongside the Philippians, but also his future deliverance from his body of death into the full presence of Christ forever. That's why Paul is talking about death here as well. Uh, he's saying that in dying and being with Christ would be even fuller joy than he's experienced now. Th this, is, this would complete his joy. Yes, there is joy in staying alive and being delivered from prison because that means that the gospel will continue to advance, but he's saying to die would even be better. <laughs> in both living and dying, there is deliverance and there is joy and he sums that up in verse 21, this famous statement, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think that's an absolutely stunning statement, isn't it? I mean, which one of us this morning could say that with confidence? To live is Christ and to die is gain. Man, I, I think for many of us, the prospect of death and the reality of death among those that we love and know, it seems to be the ultimate diminisher of joy, if we're, if we're honest. I think many of us, me included, live in fear of death a whole lot of the time. But here Paul is welcoming it, not in a suicidal way, in a, in a deeply, seriously spiritual way, because he, he believes Paul genuinely believes that his entire existence is tied up in Christ, in knowing Christ and being joined with Christ. So anything that releases him to experience the fullness of that, he's longing for. Man, and that kind of joy and that whole perspective toward difficulty and death, I think it is deeply, deeply countercultural. I think it challenges us in some really profound ways especially Americans who believe that we have this right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness are beautiful and good things, but they can easily become idols, easily become the things that we are pursuing instead of Christ himself. And when they become idols, you know what happens? 
start to withhold them from others. We want it all for ourselves. Withhold them from people who do have the right to those things, as, as the history of our country shows. But if we, as Christians, the church, take up the perspective that Paul is advocating for and living out here, uh, we can say, as Christians, we don't merely have the right to life. We have the gift of dying in Christ in order to live again. And we don't merely have a, a right to liberty. We have a gift of captivity to Christ in order to be truly free. We don't merely have the right to happiness, but the gift of deep, deep joy in Christ. And here's what happens when we receive those realities of death and life in Christ, of captivity and freedom in Christ, of joy in Christ. We want nothing more than for others to experience that same thing and for them to experience deliverance, holistic deliverance from anything that binds and holds people back from joy. So deliverance from sin, yes. Deliverance from the fear of death, absolutely. And also, deliverance from evil, deliverance from oppression, deliverance from corrupt systems, deliverance from actual prisons, deliverance from anything that is binding people and holding them back from fullness of life as image bearers of God. So our deliverance out of isolation from God, out of darkness, out of, of binding and into joyful life with God makes us ambassadors for joy and deliverance in the world for our neighbors, for each other. We long to see this deliverance spread spiritually in any other way. This is why Paul is so joyful that the gospel is advancing because that means deliverance is advancing. And so among many other forms of action, we pray. We are people of prayer. Do you see what Paul is saying about prayer in verse 19? He says, I know that through your prayers and through God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. It's a pretty powerful thing to say. He's confident that his deliverance is going to come through people praying and through the provision of the Spirit, and those are linked. Uh, prayer and the provision of the Spirit are, are linked because prayer is one of the, the most powerful ways that we partner with the Spirit of God in the world. It's the ultimate act of partnership with God to pray. God is the deliverer, and through prayer, we get to partner with God in that mission. Isn't that incredible? God says, join me in my deliverance by praying, and then by acting in many other ways. But prayer is where the action begins. To riff on a, a famous quote by Walter Wink, the history of deliverance belongs to the intercessors. Walter Wink once said, the history, of, history belongs to the intercessors, but the history of deliverance belongs to the intercessors. The primary intercessor of Jesus 
the primary intercessor is Jesus by the Spirit, and then he invites us to join that movement of prayer and deliverance. Wow, it's incredible. When we experience that deliverance, when we spread that deliverance, that's where our joy comes from. And the Spirit of God is asking us, will you join? Will you say yes to this good news? Will you say yes to Jesus? And will you, through your prayers and through your action, join me in this mission today? So we say yes, Jesus, and we pray to you today, even now, Lord, we pray for deliverance from the evil one. Deliverance and deliver us from evil in all of its forms, from our sin, from our fear, from oppression, from all the evil that so many people have been hurt by even in this week. God, we want the enemy to be destroyed. We want to be delivered from the evil one, both personally and systemically. We want your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, thank you that you have already won the deliverance, the victory. That we get to claim it today. And by your spirit that you are carrying us forward into our promised future. God, give us the grace to hold on to the, the, the hope of you making all things new. That when we experience deliverance only partially, uh, that you would help us persevere and help us experience the joy in the waiting, joy in the, in the fighting, joy in the praying, joy in the, in the movement toward your future. Thank you for being gracious to us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us joy. In Jesus' name, amen.